to Say That, the podcast where your questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining us here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. Before we hit record, Matt was breaking out the the 90s, or I guess it's the 80s. 80s, yeah. Pat Benatar references. That's right. Podcast is a battlefield. Also Mm. joining us, (laughs) the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. Hello! Joining us all the way from Oak Ridge, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, and a man in whom the 80s pop is so deep, he accidentally quoted Pat Benatar, one Lee Younger. (laughs) Well, last... I don't know what this means, but the last episode, Matt took us to, uh, you gotta have faith, the faith, the faith, the faith, faith. Like it's every episode from now on, I feel like Matt has to make an eighties pop reference. And I think he's got it in him. It's, it's very possible. It's, I'm ashamed to admit this, but it's because I'm a product of my environment. I learned of the song faith first through the limp biscuit cover. Oh, yeah. Because when I was in high school was the worst time musically to be in high school. There were some people who, you know, it was The Clash. It was Pearl Jam. Yeah. My right. parents generate, my dad, you know, the original Led Zeppelin four that came out when we were 17. We all just listened to it. When your boy Matt was, uh, was a junior, senior high school, Limp Biscuit. that was music. That was popular, <laughs> unescapable music. I'm sorry. Were, dude. were you around for the uh, that song that I heard uh, playing in the overhead at some store about the breakfast at Tiffany's? Uh, Deep that blue was, something. That's 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 rough. Yeah. I was in sh- high school, I think, when that one was out. Yep. Yeah, that should just not happen. You want to know a fun fact about that song? Yeah. So the lead singer actually worked at a Christian school. I think he may have okay. been a teacher. And when they discovered he was in a rock band, they fired him. Really? Wow. For the hardcore yep. rock and roll yep. of Breakfast at Tiffany's. That's right. Well, that's well, one I'd thing we've say. got. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those songs you hear it when you're a kid. Like, it's kind of bouncy. And at some point, you listen to the lyrics, you're like, oh, man, this is this why we're all depressed in our 20s? <laughs> this is rough. Well, bro. <laughs> I, I'm glad you bring that up, Jed, actually, because that transfers us into declaring an emergency. What? Oh, it's an emergency? Because you mentioned some, some hardcore mid-90s Christian nonsense there, and I, we've had that cross our face again, and I'm hoping we can uh, spin this to our, our benefits, as we often try to do on the show. And it's, been a, it's been a minute since we checked in with a particular brand of Christian nonsense known as purity culture. Ooh. Oh, that's a classic. It is a classic. Some of us had this voice on us, even though we didn't grow up Christian, because we grew up in a place where as opposed to teaching anything about human sexuality, they outsourced that to uh, volunteer church groups. And uh, that's never had any negative consequences. There's no correlation between states that do that and teen pregnancy rates. We know that for sure. But Matt, they have so much expertise. Well, maybe, but in <laughs> what? Maybe it's expertise in guerrilla marketing, and we'll learn about that. As a recent, someone recently shared with me, I don't think we should be marketing gorillas, and that's just I'm putting that out there right now. Bold mm-hmm. stance, but marketing to gorillas, 
That's just that's just solid financial advice right there. An untapped <laughs> audience. That's right. Them dudes love bananas. I'm just telling you that right well, that's now. That's right. <laughs> and maybe sell, we can give them to love other stuff. Who knows? Maybe if we if we corner the gorilla market, maybe they'll only buy from us. It's a whole that's thing. Right. Well, so uh, somebody passed this along to me, um, and it is. Uh, a lot of th- something a lot of us are probably familiar with the idea of an abstinence pledge. We're all we're all aware of that because you know that's the world we're forced to live in, where that's a thing. But this one had a little different something with it. This is the apparently the Save It campaign mm. from the Save mm. It Abstinence Education from Elizabeth's New Life Center, Five Oaks, Dayton, Ohio. That is. Oh. Between Save It, Absence Education, the New Life Center, and Dayton, Ohio, nothing good has happened in this sentence yet. <laughs> That's right. I'm going to say where all things go to die. Yes. if you At the time, you could reach them via phone at 1-888-588-WAIT. Wow. For real, mm. dude? Yeah, that's on there. It's on this little card. So the card says, uh, above where it's signed, uh, I'm going to try to make through this one pass. Believing that I am worth waiting for, I commit myself, my future spouse, my future, I commit to myself, my future spouse, my future children, and those who care about me now, that from this day forward, I will abstain from all behaviors that could harm my marriage, my commitment, or myself by practicing chastity. Abstinence expiration date, colon, wedding day. Mm. Oh, no, 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 no. And then you sign wordplay. (laughs) Yeah. And then you sign and date. And somewhere, someone who got married very young, who maybe went to, I don't know, let's call it the Schmoody Bible Institute, um, <laughs> thought it would be cute to hand their beloved this card on the day in question. And I don't think that went very well for them, but you know in your heart that it happened. But there's, that's all awful, but standard awful. Uh, there's two very notable things about this. One, as I mentioned, this is some prime uh, 90s Christian nonsense, but this one was signed in 2008. Oh. So uh, Lee's youngest child was alive when people were still trying to pull yeah. this nonsense. So that's interesting. But the other thing is, you know, we're all aware of the phrase, the carrot and the stick, right? You got the, so we got the guilt here. We're going to try to guilt them with the weird pledge. But then there's incentive. And the incentive is that this abstinence pledge card also doubles as a Domino's pizza coupon. Ooh, classy. <laughs> this is my favorite part of what Matt just sent us just before we hit record. But I'm still trying to wrap my mind around this. So not only is this an abstinence pledge, you get but buy any pizza at regular price and get a second same size one topping pizza free carry out only. Here's my <laughs> question. Do you have to prove it? Like, how do you... How does the coupon... <laughs> How does the coupon work? We have to, I mean, I, I have so many questions. I have, we all have many questions. The one I have is, is it carry out only because that's the only way this economically makes sense for uh, Domino's or is it carry out only because some, a bun- the delivery union looked at that and said, we're not delivering to anyone's home who is trying <laughs> to pay for pizza with this coupon. Yeah. Well, yeah, I also like how they're they're they really want to reward you for abstinence, but it's a one-topping pizza. Sure, <laughs> okay. yeah, and you got to buy one. 
You gotta buy one, then you're getting a one-topping pizza free. Your, you know, delicate, precious purity isn't really worth a two-topping pizza. That's where we draw the line. You can order anything from this side of the menu. (laughs) That's true. This is the pure side of the menu. Uh, Here's what I like is, and it's... As in all things, we when, we when we engage in an action, we reveal something about ourselves. That's that's a human universality. What the people who came up with this campaign revealed about themselves is that their sex life they consider the equivalent trade off to be a medium one topping Domino's pizza. <laughs> <laughs> they said, "What right. do we do to offer the kids that will balance out?" The primal hormonal urges they're having, a medium one-topping Domino's pizza. Can can we can we review the wording of believing I'm worth waiting for? That's so also apparently worth a medium one-topping pizza. Yeah, yeah. I like that. You know, I I will abstain from all behaviors that could harm my marriage, my commitment, or myself. And then somebody realized, like, by practicing chastity. Only premarital sex. There's no other attitudes or issues or behaviors maybe being instilled by this kind of thing that could have problem cause problems to your future marriage. Well, Matt, yeah. to, to that very point, I, you know, one of the things to me that really jumped out as you were reading the back of the car is, you know, they say, you know, the expiration day is wedding day. But I feel like that's short-sighted, bro. I think just keep going on with that mm. abstinence thing. It probably just gets better, man. Just, you know, if anything, it's more holy once you can. <laughs> At that point, it's voluntary abstinence. That's the greatest sacrifice. This is exactly what I'm saying. Well, look, fellas, uh, I think it's important to recognize they did provide a toll free number here. And I think there's a golden opportunity behind giving these people a ring. And just asking them as many painful questions as possible. You know, just, you know, like, uh, you know, what exactly does this chastity involve? Is there a belt that goes with this? (laughs) You know, really get into the details of this thing to make sure we got it down right. I think those are all all good ideas. They're going to be legally actionable ideas at some point, so... Um, I look forward to that. I look forward to the wording on that restraining order from whatever call center has taken over one eight 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 five eight eight. Wait, but here, here's the. But we're having a lot of fun here. But I think it's good for us to examine the idea behind this, which is people like coupons. Oh yeah, people are thrifty. Oh yeah, people like things. There's like so, whole shows on TLC about that. That's right, with the extreme couponing. And apparently uh, there's, I'm going to assume that these people didn't just come up with this idea out of nowhere and maybe uh, did some test marketing, got some research done, which we can just piggyback off now and maybe get people to engage in behaviors we want or not engage in behaviors we don't want with some coupons. Incentivizing behaving. Well, again, maybe we can turn this to the good. So you go into the, the ladies Bible study at church and you say, here, we're, we're handing this out, Sister Ethel. Um, if you so, if get this card punched every week you come into church that verifies you didn't comment on what any of the young ladies in the church were wearing, 
Mm. You can exchange that for 10% off any Joanna Gaines official merchandise at Target. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's going to be a winner right there. <laughs> what if you could take actual things Christians are supposed to care about and fight for and work toward, and you could just incentivize those things with, you know, um, Ulta coupons okay. or Sephora coupons. So, like, if you actually, uh, you know, care about and reach out to someone who is unfortunate or, you know, maybe the least of these, if you give to someone who is poor or if you don't actively hate people who are different from you on the Facebook, then you get these makeup coupons. Well, that's certainly something. I think we can also uh, spin that. We certainly don't want this to be a gendered thing. You say, uh, you know, Dave, that that was a real good share. You, you had get a, a Weber grill. Discount. Totally. You admitted a problem that was, you admitted an emotion other than anger. And uh, you can take this uh, 10% off to uh, over to the Dick's Sporting Goods, get yourself a tent. That's right. <laughs> well, yeah, fellas, I think, um, you know, here's one of the things I think we're, we're missing is that, you know, they're offering the, you know, the, the second pizza free with the one topping. I think you call up the toll-free number that they're providing on the card, say, yeah, this is uh, Beelzebub. Uh, <laughs> I, um, I understand you guys are oper- offering one topping on the extra pizza when you buy one. We're offering two plus hot sex. So um, <laughs> you guys can, uh, you know, it, so you set off like, a, 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 you know, like it's like a trade war and like, a, you know, an arms race, but with pizza and sex. <laughs> well, there's certainly a way to do that. I also like the idea of just pretending you don't get that this is the thing that Christians are super weird about and trying to go into other fast food places and seeing what you can get. Just walking into the Wendy's and be like, so here's the thing they're doing at Domino's. Now, I have not coveted anything this week. And is that worth a Frosty? <laughs> yeah, you got to try things, you know. That's amazing. Just just get an economy going. See what you see what you can get away with. When I think the 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 standard of this whole thing would be using the coupon system to influence the pastorate. Mm. Oh, like, you know, there's a 40 minutes sermon slots for every two minutes under you get a little punch in your card. And once Whoa. you get 10, you can you can get a free uh, one of the nice coffees at the Panera. Ooh, hey, oh. I was like, Pastor, I know. I know you love that joke. Is it worth two punches? Because you could be two punches closer to the nice coffee. Just roll on in there. I know you love the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> you know, I think, you know, I think we we really stumbled upon something there and we got through it without saying really any of the horrible things I thought we were going to say. Glenn came up with some ones I hadn't anticipated, but that's that's to be that's to be thought of. So I think we're going to go ahead and declare emergency off. Nice. Emergency if, off. If you have a horrifying relic from your Christian upbringing that you would like us to uh, offer some <laughs> catharsis through through mocking, please do send that along. Relic. That's yeah. a great word. Also, the fact that we uh, got through that emergency without potentially having any meetings with any of our wives. Yeah. Only time will tell. Yeah. 
I I I I I think you know versus expectation. I did quite well, and some of this depends on Matt's editing. Yeah, that's true, Matt. Matt, there's a fiver in there if you'll go over it a few times. We'll we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what I said and how bad I need other people to look in comparison to me. <laughs> there you go. Because as Glenn points out, much like in the world of sabermetrics, this is all about how you're doing above projection. <laughs> very, right. very important. We are, of course, still engaging in our weekly bridge cast. If you want to catch something that is not done on a live mic, because we just cannot risk that in a video format, uh, you can head over to facebook.com slash the bridge Chicago every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Central Time or catch all of them archived at your leisure at that self-same address. You can also head on over to missionusa.com slash bridgebox. Check out all the good stuff going on there this Month we're still talking about taking things one day at a time, songs, sermons, Bible studies, all sorts of great stuff for you over there for only eight dollars a month. We're gonna jump to our first question here. If you have this all the way to the end, I'll use some ways you can get in touch with this, or you can scroll down to your episode description and click the links you find there. Our first question comes in anonymously and says, I know the Bible says everyone in Jesus is a new creation, but I often feel like the same old me. How do I know that I'm actually a new person? And a, a very cool question. And Lee, where do we start off with this? Uh, I want to start off with one of my favorite songs that was ever written, um, which is a song called I Am New. The second verse of that song says, I am changed. I am changed uh, even when I feel the same. Um, I don't know if I got that exactly right, Jed, but it's a just a beautiful and brilliant song that, that points to a, a just... Um, a, a simple but totally um, normal thing that every Christian feels, which is the process of 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 being a new creation and actually changing under the kind of leadership of Jesus takes a lifetime. It it really just takes forever. <laughs> um, I, I I like to think of this in. Uh, uh, I want to pull this kind of out of the the realm of of just kind of Christian stuff for a second and say. That like, I don't know if you've ever had this happen or had this happen to a friend of yours where like you get a really, really bad haircut and you think the world has ended and, and then somebody says, you know what? It'll grow back out. And at that moment, you're like, no, it won't. My life is over. Do you see the horrible haircut I am now sporting? My, everything, ev everything stops. I I'm going to go cry f forever now. But the thing is, is that that person is exactly right, although you can't see that happening. The truth is, if you get a really bad haircut, the hair is actually growing back before you even leave the barbershop. Yep. It's, it's, it's already in the process of growing out. That's not something that you could, that you could see. I mean, if you could zoom in at the molecular level, then you could see the you know your hair actually repairing itself and growing back out but you give it enough time and that no matter how bad it is that bad haircut will be completely and utterly erased but it takes some time it takes a while and the person for whom it takes the most time is the person that stares in the mirror every day watching it you see it uh less than anybody else sees it Everybody else that sees you only sees you, you know, maybe every couple of days or every couple of weeks. And for them, that haircut grows right back out. 
I mean, it's it seems almost instantaneous that like, oh, you had a bad haircut, now it's gone. Um, well, what if you had a process like that, but it took the 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 time of your entire life? The progress on that would be so unbelievably slow that it would be so hard to see, but it would especially be hard to see if you were the person looking in the mirror every day. What the Bible says is that the instant that you believe in Jesus, you're a new creation. And that's because there's a couple of different processes that are that are at work. There's the process of your kind of, this is kind of boring, but like your kind of legal status with God. The instant that you believe in Jesus, your legal status is you're utterly forgiven, completely and totally and forever, and you have been justified, which means that not only has the bad stuff been taken off of your record, but the positive righteousness of Jesus has been credited onto your record. That's your new legal status is not only are you completely forgiven, but you are as righteous as Jesus Christ in the eyes of God. That's what justified means when like Romans chapter three or different places in the scripture talk about being justified. That's immediate. That's immediately your legal status forever. But then a new process begins, which is called sanctification, which is like where you change over time because of the work of Jesus in your life. That is like the process of growing out a bad haircut. And it takes your entire life. And even when you get to the end of it, you're not going to be done yet. You're not even going to be all that far along. And so it's this thing of like, especially when you're the person looking in the mirror of your own life, you're going to be the person who sees that and understands it the least. That's why I find so much comfort in a song like Jed's song, which says, I'm changed. Even when I still feel the same, I I am different now. Something has happened in me and it's and it's uh, I, my legal status has utterly changed, and that has kickstarted a slow process, which is going to go throughout the rest of my life, which is going to be imperceptible degrees of growth, but it is happening. And people that only see me every uh, few months or every couple of years, they're going to perceive that growth a whole lot more starkly than I am. But it is happening. It is a promise of the Lord that he is going to finish what he began to do in your life. But you're the person looking in the mirror every day. So it makes perfect sense, perfect sense that you perceive those changes um, less than anybody else who happens to look at your life. It's a really, really great point. And Jed, I'd love you to get you to uh, get join us there because... One of the really interesting things about working at the bridge uh, in the before times when people came to the bridge as opposed to us beaming it into their their homes is a big part of kind of our job as, as the staff there was recognizing and reinforcing in people that these changes were happening. It was, oh, yeah. you know, you're, you're looking great and looking healthy and, oh, man, you're, you're so much you're doing really well with your patience. And it's a really powerful thing to do for someone when they're in that. And how might someone go about doing a little bit of that for themselves, giving themselves that kind of reinforcement? Man, that's a really, really sharp question. And I I think one of the things that we talk about on this show pretty regularly uh, is a dynamic of recognizing that what you feel is totally valid just because you feel it. And it is neither right nor wrong. There's no such thing as right or wrong feelings because feelings don't have a moral quality. But that there can be a huge difference between what your feelings are telling you and what is actually true in mm. reality. 
Um, and that when we have stuff where there's that that big gap, that big disconnect, um, if we're not uh, if we're not minding the gap, so to speak, that can really cause us a lot of problems. And as it turns out, this is one of those moments where what your feelings are telling you and what is definitely for sure true are very different. Uh, here's here's the bottom line: is that you every single day that you wake up, you are different. Every single day you are. And, and that is true. Biologically, your, your body is different uh, today than it was yesterday. Uh, Lee used the excellent example of your hair growing. It, much of your body is different today than it was yesterday. It's true philosophically. You know, there's the old saying that no man ever steps in the same river twice. The, the, the world around you is constantly changing and therefore your experience of it would constantly be changing. Uh, philosophically, things are different every day. And of course, if you're on the Jesus thing spiritually, Everything is different every day. It's it's true because God is renewing you day by day and, and changing you. It, the Bible also says that God's mercies are new every morning, um, that, that God is in, in a sense that goes beyond human ability to understand, is, is doing new things and bringing new things into our lives, into the world every single day. So um, we have regardless of what our feelings say, we have an unavoidable reality that you are different. That, that is where we are at. Again, doesn't mean that really doesn't force your feelings to line up, but, but that is what we're dealing with. The question that I would have for you, and it's an open-ended question, it's something for you to really think about and really meditate on, really pray on, maybe talk to other people about is you are changing and you can decide to actively, intentionally live into the fact that you can do different things than you used to. Mm. Like you can, you can ride that tiger. You are changing. You can, you can get on that thing and actually point it in a direction that you want to go in. And, and part of why that's so important is I don't think most people are aware that they can decide to let change be on their side. I, th- I think most people either assume that nothing ever changes and I never change or change is always just kind of for the bad and it's awful stuff. But but you can recognize I can change. I can grow. I can develop. I can evolve. And I can point that in a direction that I feel good about. One of the things that I have learned from from doing work with folks in recovery and, and, and going through big change in their lives for a long time is you wouldn't believe how much change you are capable of to the positive. You would not believe how much, if you wanted to, you could work a process of change and transformation in your life and how different things could be six months from now, a year from now, five years from now. I am not overstating. I'm not joking. I'm not, this is not hyperbole. If you decided you wanted to just live a different and better kind of life five years from now, the people who know you today wouldn't recognize you. Mm. I promise you that's true. You have the ability to do that. And you have the ability to do that in part because God's Holy Spirit is alive and inside of you and transforming you. But I think the more that you lean into the fact that you are changing, the more that you can embrace what that change offers and makes possible and go out and live a life that goes beyond your wildest dreams. That's what we want for you, and we think that's what God wants for you. Absolutely right. That's a really, really cool answer to that. And Glenn, on that thing of 
the the change always happening. I really like that that Heraclitus quote that uh, Jed gave us there. So there's some recognizing and some navigating and some corralling that needs to go on here. But it's a whole lot to work out at once. So if we're new to it, what's the place to start? Well, the place where this change starts is on the inside. If you feel like you're the same person you were uh, before you were saved or before you you started a a new relationship with the Lord, uh, recognize that on the outside, you are largely the same. Uh, The the change is internal, uh, and it it goes from the inside out, and that's kind of how that works. Uh, A lot of people, for reasons I don't fully understand, try to work that change the other way and try to change their outside person and, you know, comb their hair with a nice part and, you know, get a sweater and, you know, get the big leather bound Bible or what, I don't know, whatever the thing is, but, you know, just try and act on the out different on the outside. Uh, but that's not how uh, we are transformed. We're transformed from the inside out. Uh, and so, you know, I think part of that is recognizing that it's it's a process. So, you know, when 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 you read the the phrase that you are a new creation in Christ, I think sometimes there's a tendency to read that is as he has done creating what you are, mm. uh, and he's not. He's just beginning to, to create something here. But it's going to take time, and it and it is a a, a bit by bit thing, and I think that's that's something for us to embrace that sense of we are imperfect, we are have our we do have our struggles, uh, but the Lord is working a process within us that there's this inner transformation. We see things a little differently, we we have different uh, priorities little by little. We have different. And we just see the world in a in a slightly different way, as, as if through a different lens, and that then begin to shape begins to shape the way that we make choices and how we live our life on the outside. But I think I also want us to leave us with this thought as we round this topic out that it's an element of this new life that you you're going to be trying to learn to navigate it by the spirit, not by your emotions. Uh, there's nothing wrong with emotions. In fact, you hear us say on this podcast, you shouldn't judge your emotions because, you know, there's no such thing as a righteous emotion or, uh, you know, some sort of evil emotion. They they come and go, and they're, they're hard to control and whatever. But um, emotions have a way of pointing to no particular thing at all, just in general. They, just, they point in a hundred directions at once, uh, most of them having nothing to do with reality. Uh, so we can't navigate by that. We can, I can't figure out how to get where I'm going. You know, if you if you you know have the GPS in your iPhone and it's telling you which way to turn and whatever, and it's using computers and technology and satellites in space and the whole thing to tell you where to go, that's a thing that you can navigate by. You can get from A to B. But if you say, you know, well, I'm just going to let my emotions tell me which way to turn, mm-hmm. just like. In my just in 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 the vibe of the you know do I just feel like this is you know this direction makes me feel like uh, I'm a better person or whatever it is you're going to end up not being able to get where you're going 
the 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 picture that the Bible is giving us is that God speaks to our heart. He he uh, communicates to us through our spirit that we need to learn to be still and listen to that quiet inner voice as it gives us direction in the way that we are meant to go. If we do that, we are going to get where we're going. If we if we try to allow the emotions to give us a sense of what's true and what's not true, we're not going to do well in any area of life. That's all really, really excellent stuff. One thing I would add to the end of this, and it really dovetails exactly with what Glenn was saying there, as far as the navigation, is the first, and what he was saying, at the beginning of his answer with kind of the everything starting interior, the first change that's going to over going to come to someone is the thought that maybe this current thing isn't working and the people, places and things, our friends in addiction recovery would put it, the, the mechanisms of those change, the exterior of that, that takes a while that gets complicated. That has to go through some waves, but the idea that I, there was, I was doing a thing and I'm worried that I'm not a changed person that's a change. You weren't worried about being a changed person before. Yeah, good call. Um, you uh-huh. know, one of the smartest things I've ever heard is a friend of ours who uh, came to the bridge who was uh, in addiction recovery and had his addiction. And he was talking about the concept of rock bottom. I'm sure we've quoted this on the show before. We said, there's no such thing as rock bottom. There's just when you get tired of it. Mm. And in the sense of when you're getting tired of things you didn't used to be tired of, there's been a change that's happened in you. Yeah. And we can figure the rest of it out, but... It's kind of one of those questions where if you're feeling uh, a little unsure about this thing, that's a pretty good indication that there is something on some level that has changed. And as these guys have pointed out, that's the, exactly the kind of thing that snowballs if you, if you feed it the right way. Move on to our next question here. It comes in anonymously and says, A non-Christian friend asked me to explain the idea of sin to them. I couldn't really figure out how to do it without sounding like guilt and judgment. How do I explain sin in a way that isn't that? And a, a very, very cool question, a very practical question. And Jed, where do we start off with this one? Man, it's an awesome question. I'm really glad that you wrote in with it. So I want you to think about for a second, uh, we're going to leave all spiritual concepts to the side. We're going to leave all churchy language to the side. I want you to think about your your lizard brain or your id or your baser instincts. It's all more or less the same thing. Uh, I want you to think about the ideas that that part of you uh, regularly comes up with and suggests to you. <laughs> yeah. Because you, you've definitely got mm. that part of yourself. And yeah. that, that part of yourself definitely has ideas. It's, it's really saying, <laughs> bro, bro. I got opinions, Jed. You don't even know. Bro, I got an idea. I got a thing. Let me run past you. So I want you to think about the the ideas that that bad Jed comes up with. And we're just going to ask some diagnostic questions. No judgment. How often do those ideas work out well? Mm -hmm. How often do you feel good about them? Do you hope your grandma doesn't find out about them? (laughs) You don't need me to tell you the answer on any of that. You you, you know the answer on, on that. And we, we all kind of know the answer on that. We we all have a, a part of ourselves that suggests things that sound great, but hardly ever work out, that we hardly ever feel good about. 
and that we kind of hope that other people don't become aware of. We, we pretty much all have that. And similarly, most of us either have a friendship or would really like to have a friendship where um, that other person in a critical moment could look over at us and say, bro, are you sure you want to do that? Mm. We all either have a friend like that or wish we had a friend like that mm-hmm. who would who would do us that way, who would who would be real with us like that. Well, look, if you can if you can understand those concepts, which which are pretty universal, you pretty much understand sin. Yeah, we can start to bring in, you know, a lot of of God talk and a lot of theological language and quote Bible verses, and that might add some shading and coloring and flesh it out a little bit, but we actually don't need that stuff to understand that all of us have a part of ourselves that we're not super proud of that suggests dumb stuff that rarely ends well and that we don't feel good about. We, <laughs> we, we all get that. We, we, we all understand that. And I think the one more thing that I would want to suggest to you, because it's, it's something that Christians really, really struggle with, is in their rush to sound you know, very academic and professional and impressive— they lose sight of a very basic idea. This is not an original idea to me. I think it goes back a very, very long time. But the line is, when God says don't, he's saying don't hurt yourself. Mm -hmm. And it is really, really easy for Christians to lose sight of that, Um, to portray God as being into just arbitrary rules of behavior. The Lord hates purple, therefore nothing shall be purple. But that's, that's actually not how this works. God can see things that are likely to bite us on the butt, and um, because he doesn't want us to have that experience of saying, hey, how about you You don't do that? Just as an experiment, if you were to look up the Ten Commandments and go through it, I bet you could pretty readily see why those are Ten Commandments that are worth thinking about and paying attention to, because if we run afoul of them, our lives may not go super great. And it would be a mercy for someone with, I don't know, infinite wisdom to point out, hey, uh, don't don't do that. I mean, as a for real thing, just as as one example, the idea of coveting a uh, dude, if you can set aside like the weird American fixation on greed, coveting has never made anybody's life better. Not right. not even once, not even by accident. Coveting does not improve your life. This is why God is coming to you and saying, eh, probably not so much with the coveting. So that's that's a starting point. But again, I think sin is one of those things we all have a pretty intuitive understanding of if we can give ourselves permission to kind of set aside the churchy language. Mm-hmm. Absolutely right. I agree with everything Jed said there. I agree with his point about coveting, but it feels like my neighbor shouldn't be showing off his oxen so much. <laughs> I'm not even sure how he got him into the condo building, but he just seems so very, very pleased with them. And that that really was a great uh, place to start off. And Glenn, I I think we talk a lot in the show about churchy words that are ill-defined and people put stuff yeah. on them, and that may not happen any more than with a sin. So maybe yeah. as if you were explaining that to someone, it may be a good strategy that Jed has started down the road of, instead of trying to play whack-a-mole with everything it isn't, can we get to a good functional definition of what it is? Absolutely, and uh, that's a great way of phrasing that. And I, I really want to pick up where Jed left off. I think it's great to just scrub out of your vocabulary with Christians or with anybody else all the 
jargon and all the Christianese and all of that. I, I think setting a goal within your life of using as little of that as possible, uh, you're going to be able to witness to other people a whole lot better. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I was just talking uh, uh, with uh, Miss Sarah, a missionary up in Toronto working with uh, people in the sex trade, and I said, you know, it's funny how often I will read a question of someone who's having a struggle, and if I go looking for that struggle, I find it behind the Christianese word in the question. And it's just something about the way we kind of hide behind those those words. Mm. Uh, so it's a it's a you you've got us on the exact right track. So let's let's start here. The literal meaning of the word sin is imperfection. You you miss the mark. Uh, you aim for the bullseye, you hit something else. That's imperfection. I think it'd be great if we just translated it as imperfection. It, it would make all the verses about sin make sense. It, it would all work. Um, it, it also carries with it the idea that everybody's imperfect. Uh, if you equate sin with the word bad, you are not really going to have a biblical understanding of the word sin. Because that's not what—I mean, there there are words in Greek for bad. They show up in the New Testament. Uh, this is a different word uh, because it has a different meaning. It means uh, imperfection. So if I were to, to make that a little more concrete, Jesus said, uh, follow me, and uh, everything else would be sin. Uh, you, you, the, the righteous thing is following Jesus in whatever way he leads, and, and to whatever extent you can understand that, uh, it, and everything else then is not doing the perfect, good, and right thing, which is following Jesus. Okay, but here's where we get into the problem, is someone says, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to interpret it in whatever sort of way, and then I'm going to follow my interpretation of what's written there, and I'm going to declare that I am perfectly righteous because I'm perfectly obeying my interpretation of what's written down there. Those people are not following Jesus at all. They're following—they might be following Scripture, uh, or they may tell you they're following Scripture, but they're really following their own interpretation of Scripture— um, but they're not looking to follow Jesus. They don't. They don't want Jesus to have any say so in that. They don't ask him uh, what he wants to see done there. Therefore, that's what a sinner is: is somebody who says, "I don't need a God. I I don't need a personal relationship with God. I'm just going to go on my own thing." So the funny thing is, a lot of the people who talk about sin uh, as being a list of wrong actions, and they want to list those things off are often not in communication with the Lord and listening to what direction he wants their life to take. Uh, because if anything, we'd recognize uh, a, a more gentle and loving, uh, patient and merciful attitude out of them, and we'd, we'd see the fingerprints of God on that person's life rather than condemning and judging and pointing mm. fingers at other people. Uh, sin is not a list of wrong actions. It's just failing to get that direction. It's failing to go to God and saying, what is it that you want me to do? Uh, there are a lot of understandable reasons why we don't do that. Sometimes we're afraid of what the Lord might say. Sometimes we're um, 
uh, we're just so sure we're right. We don't think we need to ask what he has to say. I think that's the case in in a lot of cases where things go wrong. So I think if I describe sin in that way, it has to give you a sense of uh, this is an easy thing to fall into. This is mm-hmm. sort of the default setting that we're all on. It's a hard thing to get out from underneath in terms of finding that righteous path and walking that righteous path. And uh, the Bible makes it clear that God is not condemning of that, that he's looking to raise us up out of that. He's looking to help us in that. Uh, my B- Bible says that Jesus came for sinners. He, he didn't come to talk to the people who are self-righteous and act in holy and think they're perfect and uh, going by the book. He he was looking to lift people up who were looking for that direction. That's all really, really fantastic stuff. I love where Glenn took us on that. And Lee, I think you have really the right experience to close out here because uh, we've all experienced this with maybe working with kind of unfo unchurched folks behind bars, but you have a lot of experience doing outreach with young people who really don't have the vocabulary for this stuff and maybe don't have the baggage on it. So what, what's a, another, what can you add to this discussion about helpful, understandable ways to explain the concept of sin? Uh, one, I just want to say, I've loved listening to this. We, we've, we've heard a lot of amazing stuff about sin and about who God is and we have gotten nowhere near guilt or judgment. And so I, I just right. want to take a second and say, this has been cool. And I hope for, I, I love the person who wrote the question in, and um, what, a, what a great question, what a great framing of a question. And how cool is it that we've been able to talk for however many minutes we've been going on this, and nobody's gotten within the zip code of guilt or judgment. Uh, we're We're not anywhere near any of that. I think that's fantastic. I think... One of the problems that I always had as a kid is um, growing up in church is that all the churchy language and everything, it gave me like a real um, kind of cognitive dissonance when I would read, you know, that there's that verse where Jesus says in John chapter 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And that came as just kind of a cognitive dissonance because there was just all the constant talk about, you know, that God didn't want you to sin. And I could never put those things together. And when you look at like the stuff that Jed was saying, and then, um, and then the way that, that Glenn carried that forward, um, you start to see that, that God's relationship with sin is totally cohesive and connected to Jesus's statement of, I came that they may have life and have it to the full. I had no way of understanding how those things had a relationship because of because of all the guilt and the shame and the judgment and the punishment and all that kind of stuff. But they actually wind up being the same thing. Here's a real quick example. And I feel like, Jed, in the sense that I want to take it out of the language of the spirituality or church or anything like that and kind of breaking this down. Let me talk to you as a as a guy that has kids. Um we in the fall, one of the things that we like to do with our kids is we go to the kind of local high school football games, you know, kind of support the community. The kids get to run around with their friends and, and uh, you know, just kind of an, they get an unchecked couple of hours where there's just kind of like an endless supply of Skittles and hot chocolate and stuff like that. <laughs> and so we can all support that. Um, but, you know, we're, we're about to leave the house on a fall, you know, a brisk fall Friday evening. The sun's about to go down. 
And I'm saying to uh, various children of mine, you need to grab a good coat and you need to change your shoes and get some, you know, some warm socks and closed-toed shoes. You're going to want that. You're going to want that jacket later. You're going to want these closed-toed shoes. And they look at me like I'm a fool. And, they, and then they do this amazing thing where they walk out on the porch and they feel the way it feels outside. And they're like, <laughs> it doesn't feel cold to me. You know, and because they've been in the warm house for several hours, you know, they just walk out on the porch. And I know that we're going to be outside for three hours or more, you know, and the, 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 the bleachers are made out of aluminum and it's going to be, it's going to be cold. And so my whole thing is, look, um, when I, when I'm suggesting that you grab a jacket and put on some better shoes, it's not because I'm trying to punish you on your wardrobe choices. It's not because I have opinions on fashion. It's because I want you to have a great time at this game. I just want you to enjoy yourself. I want you to enjoy every minute of it. I know that when the sun goes down and we've been at this game for a long time, you're going to be cold. That's like literally when I'm suggesting that you wear some different clothes, my the my entire motivation on that is that you will not be miserable that's that's why i'm suggesting that so uh you know like god's suggestions and 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 basically like this comes across the most clearly in my in in our youngest who's our our son um what you know the the look that he gives is like dude i know how to dress who are you to say i i know what i'm <laughs> i know what i'm doing you know, and I think that kind of attitude, that to me, outside of the churchy language or the guilt or the judgment or anything else, that's the heartbeat of sin, is somebody that not understanding the heart of a God who says, I want you to have life and have it to the full, that heart says, I know what I'm doing. Who are you to say? <laughs> I don't want to put that jacket on. It feels great outside to me, Dad. You know, like, what do you know about it? You never been outside, you know. And so, and, and so, it's just that it's it's just that whole thing. The guilt and judgment aside, as a kid growing up in church, I had no ability to just to just to just to mesh these ideas of sin with the statement of Jesus. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, and that's God's heartbeat. God's heartbeat is, I, I don't want to be a killjoy. I want you to enjoy this. My, when I tell my kids to put on a jacket or bring a blanket or change their shoes, it's, hey, man, we're going to be at this, at this game for three and a half hours. I want you to enjoy that as much as possible because I want to enjoy my time with you there. So please, for the love of all that is holy, put on a jacket, you know, <laughs> um, because I want us to have fun. And, and, and I think when we understand that, that gives us a better understanding of sin without, without bringing all the guilt and the shame. I mean, I think one of the problems that we have with the guilt and the shame is we we have such a, a, a misunderstanding of exactly how much God knows about us, <laughs> which is he knows everything, like all of our motivations and all all of the background to everything that we think, say, and do. He's not in the dark on any of that. He doesn't set these rules uh, so that we won't have a good time or so that we will be busted or so that we will or so that we will be in trouble. Um, he 
he is in full command of every bit of understanding of why we do everything that we do. He wants us to have fullness. He wants us to have life. He is interested in us having peace, joy, pleasure, and love. Um, that's what he wants for us. That's why he sets the boundaries that he does. And the the biggest thing that I think that I have grown in my own understanding of sin is not that that I need to feel bad or that I'm in trouble. It's just that with sin, I'm selling myself short from un, from realizing and enjoying all the pleasure that God has in store for me. That's all great stuff from these guys on a very, a very interesting and multi-layered uh, topic. And one of the things you heard all these guys when their answer and when someone asks you a question about something like this, non-Christian friend, you know, he's mentioned the question, is the one who brought this up, that I would really, really, um, really encourage you to find a way to emulate to the best you can is you just heard three very, very casual responses about sin. Um, and that, that there's something underlying that, which is really good to put forward, which is this is about love. If it's a yeah. Jesus thing, it is about love. We don't need to then, you know, that guilt and shame. Some of that comes from just a really unhealthy place of maybe people being caught up in stuff. And we talk a lot about how, as Glenn puts it, people say, love the sin, hate the sinner, but or love the sinner, hate the sin, but no one's ever actually pulled that off. And it all just comes off as hate. So terrible strategy. But a lot of that comes from the idea of God is really fired up and really wound up about this. So I have to project that forward and that can come out in a, you know, slamming your fist on the table and God hates sin and he hates to look upon it and he can't do anything about it. Or people try to go the other way. And it's not that he's angry. It's just, it just breaks his heart and you got to get the lump in your throat because it breaks his heart. And you don't want to break his heart, do you? And now I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm I'm doing it. It's just a quieter version of guilt is all I'm doing there. Yeah. But when someone comes to you, as we've often said, and when start us off in this with the idea, any concept, there's a question behind the question. And most of the time when it comes down to sin, the question behind the question is if there's a God, does he hate me? And you really want everything you say in that point to come to the point that God does not hate you. God loves you. As these guys very ably pointed out, sin actually is a part of that story. But even in the words we use and the way we talk about it in our body language and our affect, it's sin is not that big a deal set next to God's love. Amen. The big deal is God's love. You know, yeah. it's been about, it's been about five minutes since I quoted uh, Frederick Bigner on this podcast. So I'm going to do that. It's one of the, my, my favorite quotes in English language which is all the death that ever was set next to life would barely fill a cup. Just, we got to focus where the focus is. And when someone's asking you a question about this, they're asking a question about love. You can you can answer it that way. And as ever, if you don't have the details, don't have language, you can write into us. You can tell them to write into us. We are always happy to have those conversations and help you out. Move on to our last question here. It came in anonymously, and it says, In John 12, a woman washes Jesus' feet with expensive perfume. The disciples try to criticize her for not using the money the perfume is worth to feed the poor. Jesus defends her. but don't the disciples have a point? Why does Jesus side with the woman? And uh, this is a very cool question. We really, 
amazing questions up and down this week, but stuff that digs into this kind of things in the scripture is always very cool to think about. And Glenn, as our resident procurator of the Bible Nerdatorium, where would we start (laughs) off? He holds the keys. (laughs) That's right. Well, I would put it this way, uh, and I'm going to blow your mind right now. I don't know that Jesus really takes a side, and I don't know that the perfume versus feeding the poor is the central point of the story. Mm. But in, in order to understand that, I need you to, to widen the focus to the, the entire story of Jesus' life that's told in, in the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. You won't be able to understand the story until you understand how jealousy figures in to this story. Mm. So here's the thing. I think a lot of people, when they look at a religious community, whether that's, you know, sort of from the outside looking in, or or maybe you're, you've only ever been that person in the pews and, and you haven't been involved in leadership, there's a, a mentality that jealousy just kind of wouldn't have, like, where, how would you be jealous in a religious leadership kind of context. How would that work? Uh, Those of us who've been in in leadership have been hit over the head with it continuously, Uh, and it has to be understood to understand Jesus' story. So I want to give you two models, and this this stuff, of course, uh, applies to before Jesus was on the scene and during and after, and it continues through to this day. Two models of the way to live a religious life. And this could be any kind of religion that you that you want. Two models. One model, one type, one one way of doing this is to focus on a strict lifestyle with advanced academic knowledge. That's 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 the first way. Strict lifestyle and advanced academic knowledge. The other way is help. Uh, we talked about doing away with um, uh, Bible-y words and all that lingo. Uh, we're going to take the word ministry, and we're going to throw that out. We're just going to use the word help. Uh, some people say to be uh, to live a life of faith is to help, whether that's listening, whether that's feeding the poor, whether that's um, you know going out into the world and and, and you know encouraging people in certain ways. Uh, building a house for the homeless, whatever it is, there's there's a million ways to help. And if you see that as your 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 model of what you want to do, then you're in that second category. The first category is those who again who live a strict lifestyle with advanced academics. These are people who are talking about abstinence. These are people who are talking about uh, we're going to you know, preach our way through this book of the New Testament and so on and so forth, uh, that they they want you to know that they're a strong Christian because they have a really strict lifestyle and they know lots of Bible. Those those are the two models. Now, here's what I want to tell you about that. Jesus uh, was on a mission to help people. That's what his life was about. Uh, The people that he encountered, the religious leaders that he encountered, were on the other side of that, the really strict lifestyle and advanced uh, academics. Here's what you need to know about that. The people in that first group always cannot stand the people in the second group. 
<laughs> and the reason why is there's no way to compete. If I'm helping you, I am more important to you. I have more of a say in your life. I have, I have risen up in your estimation far above some dude who doesn't know you, doesn't care about you, but he's really strict with his lifestyle, allegedly, and he knows a whole lot about a book. Nobody cares about that. That's not impressive to anybody. It doesn't mean anything. I can't tell you why people invest their whole spiritual life into advancing those two things instead of helping people. But, you know, the analogy I give to pastors all the time is they, they always point to themselves and say, you know, I, I don't know if people see me as, you know, like really valid and, and like they'll want to listen to what I have to say. And I tell them, look, you know, if you were trapped in a burning building and somebody came along with a ladder to help, you wouldn't care how qualified they were or whatever. You Somebody could come to your window and with the ladder and say, this, I, I'm not even a fireman. I don't even, this isn't even my ladder. I just saw it. And I, I don't know. I didn't even know how to get down. You know, whatever it is, you wouldn't care about any of that. Someone is helping and they're bringing the exact right thing that we need to solve the situation. That person is always going to be more meaningful and important uh, than, than these, these people who are trying to compete with one another on their strict lifestyle and advanced academics. So what Jesus is experiencing here is jealousy. If you keep reading the rest of John 12, you're going to see how that plays out. Um, and so I think it's important to, to recognize that it may be a better use of money to give that money to the poor uh, than to buy perfume for Jesus. But what Jesus is rebuking is you don't like the attention I'm getting. Uh-oh. You don't like the focus that I'm getting. You don't. You want the spotlight to be on you. You want to be up in it. You want people to give you perfume, not me perfume. Uh-oh. Meanwhile, you can give money to the poor anytime you want, but instead you're dipping into the purse and putting it in your own pocket because that was what was happening with the dude was, that was saying this. But he's not giving anything to the poor. Uh, and final little point I would tack right on the end of this. I think Jesus is also making a point about don't criticize how someone else expresses their faith. Come on now. I think that's really, that's between them and, and Jesus. And it's, sometimes it's hard for us when, we, when it looks funny to us. But I think there is a line that needs to be drawn there that that's between them and their Savior. It's a really, really great point. And Lee, I'd love to get you to pick us up there because I do think it's not something we think of often as a as a biblical idea, but it really does kind of show up in the story that idea of privacy, and that's mm. something to be uh, respected and honored, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, whatever that Glenn stole my first point <laughs> with his last point. I don't know if he's <laughs> I don't know if he's getting a peek at my email as it comes to Matt or not. You know, we could have just let the people think I was really, really good at segues, Lee, but now we've just blown the magic. When, when people steal my points, I'm just cool about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Says everybody that's watched the Bridge podcast or listened to the Bridge podcast or watched the broadcast. No, I, this is, look, I'm, I'm, I'm coming in right where Glenn left off. Uh, let's, let's talk about this, Christians. Uh it's no one's business what anybody does with their stuff in response to what Jesus is leading them to do. 
it's no one's business. It's just not anybody else's business. Um, if Jesus is leading person A to worship him or honor him in a certain way with their stuff, that's between them and Jesus, period. They have a private, personal relationship with Jesus. I love that Matt used the word privacy. It's not anybody else's business. That's exactly what the disciples are doing here. Also, I would point out a really interesting, this is just a super nerdy Bible uh, wrinkle to this. And so since Glenn stole my point, I'm going to steal his keys to the nerdatorium for a second, (laughs) which is, um, there's a really interesting little wrinkle in this where Jesus says in the, the, this, this, this moment, uh, in the, in the gospels appears in a couple of different gospels in the version that appears in John chapter 12, Jesus says, she was saving this for my burial. That's a really, really interesting moment right there. Because uh, we we learn a couple things from this. One, this perfume, uh, Jesus points out, this woman had specifically saved this, Jesus says, for me and for the purpose of honoring me in my burial. That was a very serious thing to the Jewish people, number one. Um, that was a that was that's something that you wouldn't bring into question. You wouldn't mess with anybody. That's like that's like that's like uh, uh, criticizing somebody's eulogy that they gave at their at their dad's funeral or something like that. You would never think about doing that. So that's one thing. But also, six months before this happened, Jesus told his disciples. And the woman who did this, who's uh, Mary, the, the sister of Lazarus and the sister of Martha in, in this, the town of the village of Bethany, uh, she was there at a, at a time where Jesus was teaching in their home. And he told his disciples, and she was sitting in there in their presence, that he was going to die and then be risen from the dead three days later. The disciples freaked out. And of course, they didn't really understand what Jesus said when he was talking about being risen from the dead. But Mary listened to that. She just, I mean, a novel idea. She just listened to and believed the words of Jesus and realized he was not going to be buried for very long and realized that if she wanted to honor Jesus with this perfume that she had saved for his burial, that she was going to have to have her own little kind of honoring kind of funeral service before his death because he was going to rise from the dead. There's this really interesting thing where you start to ask the question, is this woman, even though the 12 disciples are the guys that, you know, that Jesus has picked to be his, like, his kind of like SWAT team for ministry, and yet this woman is the only person on the planet Earth who has listened to and believed the words of Jesus that he was going to be risen from the dead. And so this perfume that she has saved for his burial, she then honors him before his death, because she says, in effect to him, I heard you, and I believe that you're going to rise from the dead, even though all your guys don't believe that at all, and they're all going to freak all the way out whenever you die. I believe that you're going to be risen from the dead, so I'm going to honor you with this right now. In a way, it was, it was a way of saying somebody has listened to Jesus and um, is, is hearing the words that he says and believing them. And Jesus is like, hey, I would like, to, I would like to enjoy this moment where anybody is listening to me, please. Everybody get off this. 
Everybody leave her alone. I'm enjoying this moment where somebody's actually listening to my words. And so that's just a little wrinkle that I like to enjoy, which is where uh, the 12 disciples have not believed the words of Jesus, and the only person who did was a woman that they all discounted, and Jesus defends her and says, please leave her alone now. Thank you very much. You know, there are a lot of things in the the scriptures that people find beyond belief. They find, you know, a little bit hard to reconcile. Um, I do believe that the idea that this guy, who was the most important person in the world, spent all of his time talking to 12 men, none of whom actually heard the things he said, is a very believable <laughs> yep. detail, a bit of a proof text, if yeah. you will. And, and the only person who did believe it and acted on it was a woman. Yeah. That's, uh, we find that, that has the ring of truth, as they say. <laughs> um, so all great stuff from these guys. And Jed, I'd love to get you to close this out here, because I wonder if one of the things about this story is that people may go into it looking for, as, as Glenn starts off, what is good and what is bad. Yeah. So I have the idea that uh, using your money to feed poor people is good. Yes. Which it is. We're, we're pro that. And wasting money is bad. Yeah. Um, which makes sense, too. But now we we don't have a parable here. This is a, an episode from the Gospels, which is a different thing from the parables. Important to point out. So this is Jesus dealing with a real person yep. around real things. And things are a little more gray area than just A is good and B is bad, right? That's absolutely true, man. That's absolutely true. To build on the great stuff that both Lee and Glenn have already shared here the woman with the perfume, this is an act of love, and love is always extravagant. Mm. There's, mm. there's no way around that. If it's, if it's not extravagant in some way, that doesn't have to be monetary, but love is extravagant. Love makes you do crazy things. Love, um, in my case, love makes you eat salads. I, I can't tell you how mm, much okay. love, will, love will drive you to do things that, that are just out there, man. Love is always extravagant. And I think one of the the difficulties with being an American is that you've been you've been given a lot of models of how to look at the world that you, you sometimes are not aware that you're even looking through. And and so if you think of thrift as an inherently good thing, mm. which it's kind of not, it's it's simply an approach to using money. Um, but if you think of thrift as an inherently good thing, then your question is, how can we make this more thrifty? That's that's the question that we need to be asking. And at a certain point, we are taking an act of love, which, again, is meant to be extravagant. That's how love is. And we're just sucking all the joy out of it um, uh, because kind of the the conversation that's not going on here. But, you know, if Mary and Judas had talked beforehand, Judas, one assumes, is trying to bargain her down to, OK, how about just a nice bottle of Jovan Musk? from the local Walgreens, <laughs> and we'll just call it there. At what point has all extravagance and all joy and all passion and all love left the building? I mean, think for a second, if your friend was going through a hard time and you said, you know what I want to do? It's just, as the Lord's put it in my heart, I'm going to make them a, a plate of chocolate chip cookies. And it's just homemade chocolate chip cookies just to say, I love you and I believe in you. Now, what if you had somebody walk into that kitchen and say, you know, maybe you're using a little bit more expensive butter than you need to maybe mm. maybe what we need to do here is to use the off-brand butter um and you know what i noticed that you got like the target off-brand but that's not really quite the same as going to the 
discount food store mm. and getting their off brand. Mm. It, it feels to me like someone's being a little bit wasteful. Mm. At a certain point, <laughs> I think almost anyone would say, well, screw it, dude. I'm just not making the cookies. All, all joy has left the building. All passion has left the building. All desire has left right. the building. Um, I don't know how much money we've saved, but it's no longer worth it to me. We, we just cookies are, are, they're over. They're done. And, we the the problem anytime we're spending any resource it includes money but it, but it includes all resources is it's always a matter of degrees yes we could get ourselves into a place and mega churches do this all the time where we are being vastly wasteful with our money and our other resources in a way that it's not about extravagant love anymore it's just silly it's just kind of a silly use of money we can go too far in that direction but we could also go way too far in the direction of Everything must be the maximum strength thrift and the maximum strength discount and the maximum strength efficiency. And the fact that it's an issue of degrees and that it is an extremely gray area takes us back to the great stuff that you've already heard of you don't get to comment on how someone else expresses their devotion to Jesus Amen, Christ. Amen, dude. Um, it's not your place. It's it's not your role. Here's a thought. If you're concerned about the poor, go do something to help them. All right. You go do that. Um, But love is extravagant. The use of resources is always a matter of degrees. And I think one of the things that we see in in Jesus's response here is Christians talk a lot about the idea that, um, you know, a line that was used a lot when I was growing up and and they love it because it sounds super hardcore is, man, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And in a sense, that's true in that, you know, good attentions don't erase bad outcomes. But here's one of the amazing things about God in both the Old Testament and the New Testament is God actually respects good intentions. God sees the heart behind what we're trying to do and has respect for it and recognizes there are no perfect implementations of any good ideas. There are no perfect distillations of of love. We're imperfect people who are doing the best that we can. Did Mary do a perfect job in finding the exact right balance? I have no idea. But I do know that God sees the heart behind the decisions that people make and that he cares about that heart even when the implementation is not maybe the most perfect thing in the world. Yeah. That's all excellent, excellent stuff. A couple, a couple of things I will, I will tackle in here. Uh, the first is a joke that I couldn't work in when Jed said his thing about salads, which is before he met Hallie, Jed thought arugula was a small Baltic nation. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit cat skillsy, but I thought it was worth going back for. Um, these guys all did a great job on that. And one of the things where, when I would read the story, that would might catch me is, as as exactly as Jed is talking about there, the attempt to reduce things Jesus said and things Jesus did down to just a kind of a, a, what does this mean in this one situation? Because we, we, I believe, we believe we talk about the show that uh, particularly, you know, a mega church wastes a lot of money. Here's the thing we would, I would certainly say, and we have said to their faces and Glenn more than anyone, nothing that they're spending money on is an act of love towards God or towards anyone else. This, the, the sound system in this, uh, you know, massive room is not an act of love. Right. It's an act of conspicuous consumption. It's not, mm. I think Jed's word of extravagance is perfect because 
this is not an extravagant thing. There's no joy in it. There's no artistry in it. There's no uh, love in it. It's just you bought it because it was the expensive one. And the other thing about that is we're talking about the privacy and you don't get the, to judge how other people uh, devote themselves to you. That's totally true. When someone starts wanting your money to do that with, now you are perfectly within your rights yeah. to have opinions and thoughts about that. But uh, there's extravagance, I think, is such a, a great goal for this. I'll give you a very good example. Our coworker, Pete Lawson, his dad, before he moved away from the Chicagoland area, would come to be one of our bridge host teams. And he got up on Tuesday morning for a 730 service and started cooking. Yeah. Mm. And was cooking all day. There you and go. it was taken over the backyard. And here's the thing. We have plenty of people who come to the bridge who just order pizza or bring fried chicken or, and that's great. The people love it. But for Pete's dad, the way he prepared this food was a way he wanted to put in the extravagance. And for someone to come, someone very well could have come along and said all this time and you're putting money and you're buying the best ingredients. They'd be just as happy with pizza. Couldn't you do the pizza and spend the, spend the difference on something else. But that's not the point. This is an act of love. Yeah, this right. is putting the time in, putting the effort in. That's the difference between a purchase and an act of devotion. Mm. You might notice, and one, we'll close it on this, a very important point in this story is the lady did not pour perfume on herself and say, yeah. I got this really expensive <laughs> perfume as an act of yeah. devotion to Jesus. So yeah, yeah. none of you get to say anything about it. It was spent. It was out there and it was used on someone else if we wanted to. Take another step, we might point out that it was Jesus, but it was also a homeless person in all technicality. So that's she did that. So these are all very, very cool things to think about and all sparked from a very, very cool question. We're glad you wrote in. If you have a question for us, you can write to say that podcast at gmail.com. You can head over to thebridgechicago.tumblr.com if you want to hit the ask button to keep that entirely anonymous. We hope you will join us every Tuesday at 7:30 p.m. Yes, Central Time for our live bridgecast or catch all the archived versions over at facebook.com slash the bridge Chicago. We will take out the song this week. Lee referenced it in the beginning. It is the perfect song for this yes. episode. Take us out. We'll take you that with recorded live at the bridge. I am new. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's Ooh. nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast, if you send a podcast link to a friend, you can buy one regular size pizza and you'll be eligible to receive a second regular size pizza for the exact same price. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get y'all to put your hands together for me. I am
Let's go back to the start of that song, Stephanie. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we want our lives to be different.